We've been talking uh, the past few weeks through the book of Ephesians, and there's this guy, Watchman Nee, and he wrote a book kind of giving uh, a, guy, a simple guideline, if you will, for how to unpack some of what Paul, the Apostle Paul, was teaching the Ephesians in the book of Ephesians. And that was first sit, and then walk, and then stand. So the, the first week, Christian kind of went over, uh, a br- over those very quickly. The second week, he talked about... Uh, sitting in Christ and we're seated in Christ and all of our identity and authority comes from that place and then from there we can learn to walk and last week Matt did a great job just really stirring up fire for what it looks like to walk in the good works of God Uh, and I literally I was sitting over here I don't know if anyone else felt this but I literally felt the tangible electricity feeling of the Holy Spirit the whole time he was speaking over there. I was just like eyes closed and smiling in the presence of God. So what he was releasing was so amazing in this room. Uh, and really the, the heart behind this series is, as I don't have all the slides, but the heart is deconstructing the church or who are we as the church. And uh, for a lot of us, this is a very... Uh, complicated thing to do. Does anyone else have complications with trying to understand the church? Who the church is? Who we are? Uh, Just to start with some background, for me, I'm a pastor's kid, a PK, and I have seen a lot of messed up things in the church in my life. And I've spent a good portion of my life deconstructing the church, maybe not in a positive way, uh, because just trying to make sense. You know, when hard things happen, who here has been through something hard that has to do with the church? Who here has been offended or challenged or disagreed with? Yeah, so I'm glad I'm I'm speaking to the right people here. Uh, We all have pretty much. Uh, so this, this uh, concept of deconstructing the church is not something new to me at all. Uh, for several years, it feels like I've been kind of on this journey of, of God. What, I see what church is. I see what the large church is, at least what I'm aware of. I see what our church is, this little church that we're building, this beautiful family. Uh, but I want to know what we're supposed to be and why are we doing what we're doing? You know, and I'm not just talking about services uh, or meetings or gatherings where we all come together. I'm talking about who we are, our identity as a church. But being someone who's here setting up and tearing down and very involved, I also, part of my process is why do we do the meetings? Why do we get together, God? Why do we do this? Why, why do we come in and spend you know, an hour before and an hour after, an hour and a half after, putting up and tearing down just so we can worship you for half an hour together. (laughs) You know, why do we go through all the work to come together? And I recently, he gave me just this beautiful answer. He gave me a really simple, beautiful answer of why we come together. Does anyone want to hear it? Two things. We come together because we're family. 
We come together to worship him as a family. Number two, we come together to encourage and build each other up. That's the simplicity of church in the context of why we come together, why we meet corporately. Now, there's a lot more than that, but that's essentially uh, what Paul is describing uh, here in Ephesians. So, let me see here, I'm already off track. Yeah, so I want to pray right now. Close your eyes. Father God, before we go into learning what your servant and friend Paul wrote to the Ephesians and how we can apply it to us, God, I just pray that your mercy and your grace and your power would come over this house and come over each heart and would work to heal every part of us that hasn't fully seen the beauty of who we are. Every wound, every offense from the church, God, I just pray that we would be a people who step into your vision of who we are and allow that to drive us into our future and into our destiny. I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. So, uh, This is what Jesus says about the church. He says, The church is radiant without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, completely holy and blameless. When you close your eyes and think about the church, do any of those words come to your mind? So one thing I think God wants to do to us this morning is just kind of reset our focus. As we look at deconstructing church and we look, you know, corporately, but also individually, how do we walk this thing out? How do we stand? Uh, We need to have a foundation of Jesus's vision to run after. And that's his vision. That's not where he sees us somewhere. That's where he sees us now. So uh, Christian asked me to, to teach this, this uh, last week, and he gave us each, you know, there's six chapters in Romans, so he said, I'll take one and two, and Matt can take two or three and four, and Jared, you can take five and six. It's a pretty simple way to break it up. So today, just for fun, I brought a Bible that has no chapters and no verses in it. It's just a big story. It's just a big, wonderful story. And I'm going to be teaching you guys out of the story, so don't worry about trying to find out what part I'm speaking from. Just listen like it's a story. It's kind of fun, something different. Who's been reading Ephesians over the past few weeks? So you all know what I'm reading anyways, right? So did everyone feel like they got the concept of sitting We really focused on sitting, and sitting is super important because if you don't get sitting, the rest of it really is just going to mess you up. You know, our identity, our destiny, it all starts with learning to sit in Christ and be completed in Christ. But we can be completely seated in Christ and be totally immature. You agree? 
My two-year-old son is in my home. He's in my care. I cover him. He's a part of me. He is not mature at all. <laughs> and I think that Paul realizes this because he's sending this letter and he's like, you know, how do I break down kind of uh, a brief entirety of, of being Christians and being the church? And so he goes in this section of walking where he's, he says, okay, this is who you are and this will never change. You're seating, this is where you're seated and that will never change. Now you're moving into walking and what he's going through walking for is he's unpacking what it looks like to start to become mature in Christ. And so there's all these these uh, scriptures or portions of the scripture where it says filled to the full measure of God uh, or to become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And we're going to talk about uh, these three, but an important part of this is to understand that, that God's glory through your life and your destiny in Christ the joy that Christ went to the cross for is completed in all three of these things we're going to talk about. Your salvation is completed in sitting. You are saved by grace. You don't have to do anything. We all know this. Hopefully, we all know this. Uh, but the fullness of God's glory that he gets from your life and also the fullness of your destinies actually only comes when you learn to walk, when you mature, and then when you learn to stand So I'm going to start reading here. Uh, so God's intent, his intent was now that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God would be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his internal purpose that he accomplished in Christ our Lord. In him, through faith, in him we may approach God with freedom and with confidence. So you want to know step one of maturing in God. Coming to him in freedom and confidence. Now it's easy to miss this because there's so much amazing stuff happening in this chapter. Uh, that, you know, I've read this chapter I don't know how many times, and I, I never had saw this until Holy Spirit pointed out to me when I was preparing, uh, but step one of maturity in Christ is stepping into freedom and confidence. Freedom and confidence comes from knowing you're seated. We're talking baby steps here. Step number two to maturing over to be filled with the spirit of god so there's this there's this portion of scripture here where it says do not be drunk with wine but be filled with the spirit of god singing and hymns and music and all this wonderful stuff uh, i want to take a different perspective of being filled with the holy spirit and this is this is Step two of maturing in Christ. Because if you don't get this, you're not going to get all the other amazing stuff that Paul writes in here. And that is, 
because it can be an abstract thing. What, what is being filled with the Holy Spirit? What is, uh, you know, there's different streams of the church have different perspectives of what that looks like. Some people, you know, they shake on the floor, they scream, or they, you know, weep and cry, and it's all different manifestations of being touched by the Holy Spirit. But what does it look like to be in the Holy Spirit, to be walking the Holy Spirit? And, and I love that Paul uses the analogy of do not be drunk with wine, because when you're drunk, you do things that you wouldn't do if you're not drunk. That's how you know that you're drunk. Is that pretty simple? Before I came to Christ, I spent a lot of years practicing and learning that. Thank you, Jesus. You saved me from that. But I know from experience that when you are drunk, you do things you wouldn't do if you're not drunk. And the more you drink, the more things you do that you wouldn't do if you weren't drunk. And so there's this term that we use. Any here, anyone here ever had a DUI? You don't have to raise your hand. <laughs> I have. I had two of them before I came to Jesus, and that's a whole other story. But it's called driving under the influence. That's what DUI stands for, driving under the influence. Because when you have this toxin alcohol in your body, it influences you. It influences your mind, your motor skills, your emotions, everything you're doing. And this is the, the word that I want to highlight in maturing and walking in the Holy Spirit is influence. How are we influenced? If we're mature and learning to walk with the Holy Spirit, his influence on our life causes us to do things that we wouldn't do if he wasn't there. Does that make sense? Does that connect the dots? I feel like that's such a perfect and beautiful analogy that Paul uses because <laughs> there's often times where Holy Spirit nudges me and says, you know, go pray for this person or go talk to this person or you could do this or, you know, that guy two days ago, there's a guy in a parking lot and his arm stopped right about here. And Holy Spirit is like, you should pray for his arm to grow back. And I'm like, no, I just walked right by him. <laughs> because I'm not drunk enough in the Holy Spirit. Because I'm not influenced enough to allow his reality to overtake my better judgment. <laughs> you know what I mean? So part of maturing and walking in Christ is learning how to first recognize that influence when it comes, his voice, his touch, the feeling, and then say, okay, how do I partner with this? How do I step out in faith? Every time you step out into that influence, it pulls you further into your destiny. Number three. We have to reconcile this thing called works. Because a gospel of just works is evil. But a gospel without works is not the gospel either. And because there's been such a twisting with this religious spirit of you have to do, 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 to be okay with God or for God to be okay with you or to get salvation or to escape hellfire or all this stuff. We've swung all the way to this other side. 
And this other side, there's truth in it. There's nothing you can do to earn God's love. There's nothing you can do to get his salvation. There's nothing that you can do to make you right. It's all dirty rags, if that's what you're trying to get with it. But at the same time, here in Ephesians, he talks. Uh, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance. Joined together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up as each part does its work. There's an element of works that reveals God's glory and takes us into our destiny of maturing in Christ. And if we get it in the right place, it's amazing. It's getting to learn how to co-labor with God to see amazing stuff happen. But at the same time, not try to do something to get your worth out of it to where you get burnt out, hopeless, sad, depressed because you're not enough, because you don't look like someone around you. Can we all agree that part of our destiny in Christ is to get to follow Holy Spirit and experience what it looks like to see God's power manifest? Matt did such an amazing job last week of just like stirring that thing up. I don't know about you guys, but I just got so stirred up with the the testimonies of the miracles and just revealing from heaven's perspective who we are and what we carry. But if we're afraid to do works, we won't step into that. If we do works for the wrong reason, we'll step the wrong direction. This is the big part of maturing. This is a big part of the walk because in here, Paul talks about all sorts of things. I don't have time to read it all and go through it all. But he talks about loving and working and doing and doing and doing. This is what we do as Christians. There's like a whole chapter of just this is what we do because of who we are in Christ. And then he takes that and he actually puts it in different realms of life. So he says, this is what we do together when we come together. We submit to each other in love, in the love of Christ. And this is what we do in marriage. Wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives. Kristen and I led uh, Love After Marriage a few times. And... A part of the wrestling of what we went through uh, in preparing for that was talking through and, and coming to uh, a healthy perspective of this idea of submission and love. Because submission has been so distorted, especially in marriage. And I, was, I asked Chris, I said, do you think people still get married if their vows said, I promise to completely submit to you in everything for the rest of my life. Wives. (laughs) Now, husbands, what if those same vows that you're saying said, I promise to give up all my pursuits and desires to become anything 
ever. And I commit to spending 100% of all my energy in life pursuing making my wife great. All of a sudden, that scary thing of submission, you know, it's amazing because submission, it's not hard to me anymore because the longer Kristen and I are married, the more I become intimate with my desire for her. And because I know my desire for her, it's easy for me to want her to submit to me because she's not submitting to something separate than her. She's submitting to this growing desire that God's placed in me to see her shine and see her succeed. Isn't that beautiful? So then he, then he goes uh, after, uh, and that's the same portion of Scripture where, uh, where Jesus says, talks about the church. He says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, washing her in the word and seeing her as radiant and beautiful and perfect and holy. And so husbands, we get to be like Christ. We get to learn how to see that in our wives and then learn how to wash them clean, wash everything the enemy tries to place on them clean through those words of truth. And then he goes on to, to talk about children's and the relationship with fathers and mothers and children's and, and children obeying parents and then work. Uh, in a lot of the translations, it, it Looks like the context is slavery, which back then it was. But you can translate this into work. This is what we look like when we're at work. When we have ungodly bosses. When we have ungodly workmates. When we're in these places that are hard, this is what we look like. But here's the thing. All this stuff that he says, you've got to have those first few steps in place in order for it to work out the way God designed. One thing Holy Spirit told me, uh, I was asking about submission, trying to understand this idea of submission, and he, he told me, submission in love is the mortar God uses to build his church up. It's probably why this, the very first thing when, when uh, Paul's talking about these different realms, what do we do, what do we look like in these realms? Of life, the first thing he says is submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Because he knows that that submission, learning that submission, which in a lot of ways is one of the hardest things for us to wrap our mind around in this culture. Because we're all so focused on attaining different things. But it's a big deal. So, one thing that's amazing, I'm going to call this fruit, one amazing fruit of learning to walk. So you read through, you read through Ephesians and you look at all these things that Paul tells you to do uh, as you're walking seated in Christ. One of the amazing things is God's grace to overcome follows you when you're walking in him. And the, the picture that God gave me that I feel like so beautifully illustrates this is the Israelites, when God gave them the promised land, they said, this place is yours. 
but it's inhabited by some people you're going to have to overcome. Some big people, some big scary people. You guys are going to have to march up to them, and you're going to overcome them, and I'm not going to tell you how. I just want you to march up to them, and we'll talk when you get there. These big, scary people. God's plans are special. So the Israelites, they come in this land, and there's this city called Jericho with these massive walls. And they're thinking, you know, they don't have this huge army with chariots and all this stuff. They've been in the desert for 40 years, eating bread. And they walk up to this wall, and this is what Jesus says, or this is what God says to them. He says, I don't want you to prepare for fighting. Or I should say, he doesn't say, I want you to prepare for fighting. He doesn't say, this is a battle plan of how you're going to get in and take him down. This is what he says. He says, I want you to walk. I want you to walk around the, the walls of the city. And when you've done it, do it again. And when you've done that, do it again. And it's interesting because he's illustrating that things happen when we choose to walk in obedience to God. Even when we're not seeing strongholds fall. Even when we don't feel like we're seeing the victory. Even when we're in complete confusion. Because we don't understand how this is helping anything. Could you imagine the Israelites walking around that wall like, yep, God told us to walk, so we're just going to walk. And I would have been like, this is really easy. This is kind of nice. We're not fighting. We're just walking. But Paul knows... Paul knows this in Ephesians as well, and that's why he's placing, that's why he's teaching us, he's teaching the church to walk. Because walking is a choice. Being seated in Christ, once you've given your life to Christ and you're in him, that's not even a choice. You can choose not to believe it, but it's a reality of who you are in him. But walking is a continual choice that we get to make. So the Israelites are walking around the wall, and then he says, uh, you know, after they've walked around several times, okay, now that you've, you know, for seven days, you've walked around the wall seven times, all, you know, million of you or however many people there are, okay, now I want you to walk around it seven more times, but all in one day. Do you see how this is building that doesn't make any sense at all? But God knows that something's developed in us as we choose to walk. So, could God have, when they marched up to Jericho, could God have said, blow your trumpets and watch the walls come down? Could he have said that? Could that have happened? Yeah, of course he could. So what's the point of all the walking? And the reason why, and this is what I want you to see, is that after they'd walked around 14 times in obedience, and they stood there, and then God said, okay, take your trumpets out, blow them and roar. Yes, they blew them. Yes, they roared, and the walls all came tumbling down. But here's the thing. They were different at that point than when they first walked up to the walls. And that's why God led them to do all that walking because it was establishing something that God wanted in his people. And a lot of times we come to God and we, we say, 
We want to see the walls come down. Or we pray for miracles or breakthrough. We want to see it now. And he wants to see it too. But all the while, he has a plan for something he wants to establish in you in the process. And that comes through obedience. That comes through choosing to walk. Is this good stuff, guys? <laughs> Come on. <laughs> okay, so let's move on to uh, standing. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. I like how it starts off. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. It's like be strong in the Lord is being seated in him and in his mighty power is learning to walk in him. It's like now that you have learned to be seated in Christ, be influenced by the Holy Spirit, now that you're mature in walking with him and in him and learning obedience, learning how we do things as Christians, you're ready to take your stand. I think it's important here I feel like it's important that uh, the devil's schemes is something, is specific plans the enemy has against us. It's not necessarily every evil thing you see. Uh, We have power in Christ. We have authority to see people healed. That authority and that power happens the moment we choose to receive him as Lord, and we're seated in him. There's some things that we have to walk in maturity to learn how to partner and co-labor with God to stand against the enemy. But there's also things that we are given power to overcome in a moment by his grace and by his love. And it's just important to point that out because I don't want anyone to think that you have to walk through this long process of maturity in order to make your prayers powerful or in order for you to overcome the devil because that's not true. But Paul's talking here more than just, you know, seeing someone that has a sickness from the devil. He's talking uh, more than even maybe the devil's uh, plan or accusation against you or your family. He's talking now corporately in this realm of the enemy is trying to establish and grow a system, an antichrist system, philosophy, uh, and gain authority over the land that you guys are called to actually stand in and represent my kingdom. Does that make sense? So as we're talking about this, uh, going into the armor of God and and all this fun stuff, I just... Holy Spirit, I pray that you would give us wisdom and insight to know how to separate. And I just pray in your name, Jesus, that what we're teaching right now would not create powerlessness or would not put a burden of needing to become more mature in order to do the works that are only by your grace. In your name, Jesus, amen. So let's move on to standing. Resist the devil and he will flee. 
Overcome evil with good. So be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the evil day comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything to stand. Stand firm, then, with a belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with a readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith, which, can, which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the enemy, of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the sword of God. As Paul's writing this, he actually ends this section uh, saying, you pray for me that I will, make, I will fearlessly make known the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. And I just find that term so interesting, an ambassador in chains, because an ambassador is someone who carries the authority of a different land. It's someone who's in this land but actually carries the authority of another land. So this... Paul, who's carrying the authority of heaven, is in chains. And how could someone that's in chains write about standing with the armor of God and in faith to see the enemy overcome? Shouldn't he have been like, like had the Holy Spirit come and break him out of prison? And he's like, you know, on his camel, riding away from the city, like, you know, James Bond or something. And he's writing these people like, just be like me. Just be mature in the Holy Spirit and he's going to overcome everything. Because there was stories, I'm pretty sure, where, where chains just fell off and prison's doors opens. So what's the deal with Paul teaching about all this being strong and standing firm? And the answer is really with what he's explaining to stand against. We don't fight against flesh and blood. We fight against the, the powers and the authority and the principalities, spiritual forces of evil. Does this sound like Star Wars to you or something? Doesn't it? Is it a little abstract for our normal, like, Christianese? I mean, some of us are intercessors, maybe, and, like, it's your normal thing every day to be praying against the spiritual powers of dominion in the land and taking authority back. Take the ring to the mountain and throw it in the fire. That was, that was Lord of the Rings, you guys. I just threw that in there. <laughs> it's a prophetic ring. But the reality is, is we don't, every day, we don't actually feel this like, we don't see it. We don't feel this, these authorities and these powers and angels and demons and all this stuff. But part of maturing is recognizing in faith that it's there. And choosing as you're walking to learn to stand. Uh, I believe that it's the enemy's absolute last strategy 
to make himself known. If he can kill, steal, and destroy without being seen or known or recognized, then that will always be his first choice. Uh, I actually had an experience uh, where we were sleeping at night and I had a, a demon physically manifest in our room. And it became really real at that point. Uh, before I got saved, I actually I had an experience where I physically felt a demon attack me, where it pressed me down in my bed and I could audibly hear snakes and it was choking my neck and I thought I was going to die and filled with fear and all this stuff. So there, there's touch points where this stuff is obviously real. This whole spiritual realm is real. Uh, when, I, when we were in bed, I woke Krista up to pray with me and to fight this thing and she didn't wake up. She just kept sleeping. <laughs> but I mean, I, I personally feel like there's, there's something, personally, I've really been going after. I, I just want to see this stronghold of lust broken over the city and over our city. And so that's something I'm, I've really been contending for because I've seen God's power manifest in that area. And so I really feel, you know, this was when we were doing lamb and we're really pursuing healthy marriages and breakthrough. And I was like, just so focused with God on wanting to see this thing destroyed. And I don't, I didn't see any difference. I didn't see any change. There wasn't any breakthrough. And then a demon shows up in your room, which I feel was very closely like connected you know I don't know how all that works I don't claim to understand all the the spiritual realm and stuff uh, but I believe it was like a authority of lust in the area like a, a spirit of lust that took notice of me because I'm trying I'm not trying to bring a spirit of lust down I'm not going after a spirit I'm saying Jesus this is who you are and I'm standing for this I'm declaring it, and I'm going to keep pursuing it until it becomes reality in earth. And apparently when you do that, it does make a difference. It does shift. And I had this whole exchange. It's one of only two times where I physically saw a manifestation like that. Um, but it makes it really real. And do we want to chase after that? No. We want to sleep through the night. I mean, I've got a two and a three-year-old. I've got enough issues <laughs> keeping me up at night, stealing my sleep. I don't need that stuff. But I want to see breakthrough. And I feel like God spoke to me three specific realms that we learn to stand in. And one of them we talked about already is submission. Learning to submit to his plan is part of how we stand. Holy Spirit, dialogue with the Holy Spirit, talking with God by His Spirit is how we discover His plans, and then we get to stand in them, or reading them in the Word. Another thing is responsibility. Who knows that when you mature, you start understanding what responsibility is? In fact, 
Maturing requires of you that you learn what responsibility is. And what is responsibility? It's you and your actions and your words and your deeds giving a response for the ability that's in you. Now, when you're seated in Christ, you've been filled with some pretty amazing ability. It even says, as he is in the world, so are we, or so are you. We are actually representing Christ to this world. And in that, by his grace, we're filled with all the power of his kingdom. That's a pretty sweet ability, you guys. So us maturing is learning how to give an account for that. And the last one is authority. Submission, responsibility, and authority. And this is where, as you're grasping these, you just start to see these powerful, amazing sides of God. I spent years just like on the love of God. I'm still on the love of God. I just want the intimacy. I want love with the Father. I want to see those fiery eyes of Jesus. He can wake me up at night. I'm cool with that. No devils. But if Jesus wants to show up in my room, I'm like, any night, any time. I want to feel the joy and the love of the Holy Spirit. I want to be empowered. I want to feel his presence. But you know what he's talking to me about? After years of him pouring that stuff over me and into me and changing me and transforming me, he's saying, son, you're at a place. I want to start teaching you about authority, submission, responsibility. And there's no less joy. There's no less excitement. There's no less feeling of his goodness in the midst of these realms. There's just a sense of he's preparing me. I'm walking so that I'm changed, not just to see something else change. And one thing he's been telling me about is, is that we don't understand how closely connected authority and faith are. So there's this, in Matthew, there's this story where uh, there's a centurion soldier and he comes up to Jesus and he says, I have... Uh, a sick servant that's on his deathbed and I need you to heal him. And Jesus says, you know, I, maybe let me check my schedule. Grabs his iPhone. It's an I am phone, actually. <laughs> he says, uh, I, think, I think Thursday I've got an opening and if he dies, it's okay because I do cool stuff. And, and the centurion says, no, no. You don't even need to come. In fact, I'm not even worthy to have you in my house. You just say the word and my servant will be healed because I have people under my authority and when I tell them to do something, they do it. I tell this one to go there and he goes and this one to go there. So you just say the word. And what is Jesus' response? He's like, wow. The Jew... The, the Jewish people. I've not seen faith like this in my own people. He says, wow, this is the greatest faith I've seen in all of Israel. Now our walk with Jesus is called the walk of faith. And this thing, faith, also can be something that's abstract. 
But Jesus said that the most profound example of faith that he saw was because of understanding authority and nothing else. So here he's telling us how to stand, and I don't have time, obviously, to go through all of these, the armor of God, but I do want to hit on a few of them to help kind of give us, hopefully give us some traction and make things a little bit less abstract to us. So it says, we have the shield of faith and the sword of the Spirit. Now all these other armor, uh, the belt of truth, breastplate of righteousness, helmet of salvation, they all just stay on you. You don't do anything. They're just there. God's placed them on you. I had a mentor who uh, passed away, Harry Oldenberger. Oh my goodness, this man was the most wonderful, like, 95-year-old man, sweetest man you've ever met in your life. And he's like, you know, Jared, I just, I wake up every morning, and I look in the mirror, and I just put on my helmet of salvation. And I just put on my breastplate of righteousness. <laughs> he's like 95, except he's kind of like shaking. My breastplate of righteousness. <laughs> he's been doing this for years. And it's so amazing, so beautiful. Uh, but the, the shield and the sword are the only thing that you actually have that you choose to wield, that you learn with. Everything else is, is grace, salvation, righteousness. It's who you are. It's what you're seated in. It's what's placed on you. But this shield of faith, Holy Spirit was showing me, it says, the shield of faith to extinguish the, the fiery darts of the enemy or the fiery arrows. What would it look like if learning to use a shield of faith was as simple as learning to carry our authority? So rather than this abstract thing of like, you know, faith is believing and it's, you know, believing without seeing and the things hoped for before they're here and all this stuff. I feel like God wants to give us a focus point. As we're seated in him and as we're walking in him, we carry his authority to stand. But that's also something we get to learn to mature in. So this shield that you carry that protects you, not only protects you, but foils the enemy's plan and destroys him, extinguishes what it is that he's trying to do, is tied up in learning authority, learning to carry God's authority. How about the shoes? I've always found the shoes to just be feet fitted with a readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. What does that even mean? <laughs> I've read that so many times. I was like, it just... It sounds good. I mean, everything Paul writes sounds really good. I don't get it. I don't understand it, but it sounds cool to say. <laughs> and uh, I did a, a little research on it, and the picture it always helps have the context of the picture of what the people who are reading this would have seen when they saw that. Uh, because when I think of shoes, I see vans. And I can't make the connection between vans and the gospel of the readiness of peace. Uh, but when it, he's talking about the soldiers, they wore special footwear that they only wore in battle. And 
their footwear. You know, they, they didn't wear these, as you can imagine. They had sandals on, but their sandals had this special deeper sole. And then what they would do is they would put this, uh, I don't know if it was tar, some sort of sticky stuff on the bottom, and they would put rocks and clay and all these things that would stick out of the bottom of their shoe. And the reason they would do that is because if you're just wearing sandals with no traction and you're standing like this and something pushes against you, you're just going to be moved. But those pieces in their, inside their shoe get traction. And what that traction does is when they get hit, now they're no longer being moved, but they're able to stand strong. And the only thing keeping them where they are from being moved is those shoes. And what Paul is trying to say is that your peace will keep you immovable. How we learn to steward the peace of God in every season of life is what trains us up to become immovable. Because we think of peace as making things easier a lot of times or feel better. But there's actually a profound spiritual revelation of the power of peace against the enemy's advances. And yes, when, you, when you're peaceful, you feel better. You know, there's the peace, Philippians talks about the peace that passes understanding. And you're like, I don't even know why I feel so good, you know? The, the world's falling around me and there's earthquakes and, and stuff. And I just, I feel happy. And that's cool. I want that peace. I have a lot of times. Uh, not all the time, though. Man, that, the, that enemy showed up in our room. Or that, that demon showed up in our room. I was not feeling peaceful at all at that moment. That was, I wasn't ready for that. Uh, but the enemy knows that if he can get you to partner with fear, then he can move you. I like this, to give the picture that fear is choosing to take your sandals off. It's not just being overcome by the enemy, it's actually making the choice to take off what keeps you steadfast. 